0: Hello and welcome to the Hybrid Coaching Podcast. Today we have an excellent episode with Andy Torbett. Andy Torbett is a real-life action man, um, stunt man. He's raced a peregrine falcon Falcon, Falcon, with rockets strapped to his legs. He's dived in caves for, I believe it's days on end, without surfacing for air. He might have had a tank with him, but uh, rumour has it, it was on one breath. Um, he's done many amazing things, and is probably the most interesting man I've ever spoken to. Um, so you've got a hell of an episode in, uh, lined up. Uh, but first, just a couple of things. We've got the hybrid games on the 30th of, the 31st <laughs> of August, uh, which is going to be excellent. It's going to be a bit like an adult sports day with some serious fitness. Um, some ridiculous fitness, some challenges like egg and spoon races. Um, it's going to be all the fun. The sign-up link is live on the hybrid website. So if you want to come and play, uh, sign up, and we will see you on the 31st of August. For, um,
1: for full disclosure, so that the, uh, the listener can get an idea of what's happening here, there is four men under a table concerning my duvets. Um, nothing more natural at all, just four male friends. In their own makeshift sweat lodge. Um, I might actually take my shorts off. It's really hard.
2: (laughs) Tom is is fully nude. Um, (laughs) Some sort of odd blank on his chest. I think he's trying to imitate a skydive position. I thought he was trying to be a baby seal. uh,
1: If nothing else, the hybrid coaching team are (laughs) consummate professionals.
0: (laughs) Always. Oh, it's you, really always. hard, actually,
3: isn't it? It's, it is not yeah. its yeah. Um, it's only privileged people that get to come in the po- hybrid coaching podcast. Dan.
0: We've never had a guest yeah. that she had come into the den before, have we? Yeah, mm-hmm. good. You yeah. usually it's, keep them at it's approximately quite a distance over sky. 68 <laughs> <Yeah>. degrees Celsius <laughs> and 102% humidity. I don't know how you take your shorts off in that position.
2: <laughs> Literally, everybody's getting naked.
0: <laughs>
2: Andy is in a uh, full action man attire still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cargo pants. It's a little <laughs> bit like Cargo that trousers. scene from
0: um, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective 2, where he's in the Rhino yeah. and he's getting really sweaty. So he takes off all his clothes, but instead of just one person, there's four of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're not it's in a now. <laughs> we're not in a rhino, we're under yeah. my kitchen table. Right then, if you um, didn't notice, we're actually joined today by uh, professional stuntman and general all-round action man, Andy Talbot. So welcome to the podcast. Hello.
1: Good morning, afternoon, night, whenever you listen to this podcast. It yeah. is a pleasure dusk. to be specifically be under a table <laughs> covered in duvets. <laughs> Gosh, well, this what? is
3: the most exciting interview you've ever done, isn't it? It is. <laughs> it's most fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on, mate. Yeah, thank right. you so much.
2: <laughs> We've got coffee and, and biscuits, so we're all good. It's been oh, an, be an excellent hot. start. Mm. so hot under air, though.
0: Yes, yeah, it is it's, hot. It's good for your pause. It is. It's very good for your paws. Right then, we tend to always start the hybrid podcast uh-huh. with a fact of the day. So yes. I believe you've come prepared. <laughs>
1: Uh what do you, what do you want? I've not prepared, but I've got I've got lots of useless pub quiz trivia anyway. Do you want uh, I think we should have one, put them in, one
3: fact about you, or at least one fact about you, because you've got loads of good facts. Huh.
1: Uh, a personal
2: D- is fact. is is it
3: true mm-hmm. that you raced a peregrine falcon? In a skydive. Yes. Um, but you weren't going quick enough, so you attach rockets to yourself.
1: That's correct. So the Pergan Falcon is the fastest arm in the world. It's been recorded, so it probably does faster. But it's been recorded uh, in a stoop, which is a, a head-fast dive towards the ground for prey. at 242 miles an hour. And I thought, I can beat that. <laughs> uh, and I managed about 240 when we're filming it. So I got a friend of mine at the UK Space Agency to design these basically electric turbine engines that I could strap to my thighs <laughs> to get me beyond. We got two five seven on the day, and I reckon you could go faster.
2: Um, how, <clears throat> how um, how much faster did, did that feel than what you were actually going before?
1: Not much, to be honest. You can really feel it. I mean, you're doing two hundred and forty miles an hour. An extra set of seventeen miles an hour doesn't really <laughs> register. Um, plus the acceleration is quite because it took. Speed skydiving is actually a competitive sport which I compete in. Um, it's pretty niche. <laughs> no way. It, but it's the, it's the simplest form of like, competitive skydiving because the idea is you get out of a plane uh, and you try and go as fast as possible possibly can before you need to pull your parachute. Um, and you accelerate fairly slowly or fairly consistently. So imagine being in a nice sports car and then just easing up the acceleration from zero all the way up to, say, 200 miles an hour. But you don't really feel that much. But when you put the brakes on, if you slam the brakes on, then you mm. feel how fast you're going. So, you've got these audible altimet- altimeters which which tell you you've hit the bottom gate at like five and a half thousand feet, and you've got to pull by three and a half. So you've got two thousand feet to slow down, which sounds like a lot, but it's a matter of seconds. You're doing like you know two hundred eighty mile an hour, three hundred mile an hour. So, and when you flare out and you try and slow down, that's when you really appreciate how fast you are going. Um,
3: it's pretty quick, isn't it? Um, how much are you uh, are you wishing that was in kilometres an hour, Ali? And meters.
2: I'm more wishing I could have a go. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a uh, really accessible sport with a low Just get yourself a place some some torpedoes just, just pitch up. Um, I
1: have listened to all the episodes of this podcast and I have I, I have listened to the the just <laughs> just you really go on about uh, <laughs> the metric system, which I I I'm inclined to agree with you. It's a much simpler, and accessible system. Unfortunately, there's certain things, especially still in the UK, that are run on the imperial system. So, I dive in meters. So all the meters, because you've got you got to dive in meters because it's dead easy then, Because you've got because 10 meters is one bar, one yeah. atmosphere. So, you know, uh, So it's 10 meters. Every for every 10 meters you go down under the ocean, you gain a, a, a one atmosphere of pressure. So 10 bar, 10 meters down, you're doubling atmospheric pressure. 20 meters down, tripling atmospheric, atmospheric pressure. Um, and In the forces, actually, we all we march and, and, and that all in kilometres because all US maps are in kilometres. But in skydiving, um, in the UK and the US, because it's a it's an aerial sport, so it comes under all the flying laws, is still done in feet. Um, so you jump from fifteen thousand feet. It just
2: means nothing to me. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to know what that is in meters.
1: <laughs> but the well, problem is, is that when you go abroad to compete. They all do it in, in meters. <laughs> <laughs> so, so stupid. Because so so I've got an, an instinctive appreciation for depth in meters, mm. but in height of, of mountains in meters as well, because it's a lot of maps. But skydiving, because I've always trained in feet, that's how you're trained in the UK and the US, so if have are my courses. Like an instinctive appreciation of where, you know, so oh, I pulled at 2,000 feet, bloody hell, that's low. But, you know, so I pulled at 800 meters um I'd have to then convert it to depreciate it. so if you're if you're annoyed by it mate you won't try
2: living it. <laughs> what um what sort of speeds do you, do the top guys in competitive skydiving reach yeah, I mean, in kilometres per hour. Last,
1: last year's internationals I think I came like eleventh or twelfth. I think I made top ten yet. and I was in about 270, 280. The top guys a mate of mine he used to be a world champion. His average speed between nine and a half and five and a half thousand feet, so it's roughly three kilometres to two kilometres. No, that's right. Two to, two to one. Anyway, so basically it's a vertical kilometre. That's how it's measured. It's a vertical kilometre. We convert it to feet. Anyway, his average speed over that vertical kilometre was, I think, 312 miles an hour. So what speed he was doing at the end, because you would accelerating all the way through, mm. at the bottom, I've got no
2: idea, but it'd be like three... 20, to 30 probably. So, I'm a little bit confused because you said that you went with rockets <laughs> 257 yeah. miles an hour. Yeah. And this guy is travelling at 312 as an average.
1: Yeah. Has he got a really pointy head? He's got an incredibly pointy head and very heavy feet. <laughs> <laughs> um... It's all, all technique, he's much better than I am. Plus, with the rockets, we kind of we did it as a part of our, a children's BBC show, and it's all the idea of doing science and wildlife, but making it kind of fun for the kids, so that's why we include technology. But the actual rockets themselves, because there was a degree of torque put into your body, you had to fight that torque to stay online, which actually meant introducing a bit of drag in order to steer, which kind of slightly counteracted the power they gave you. So, um, Plus, I mean, they're mega experimental. Literally, the first time anyone ever used anything like it was the first time I jumped out the plane with them on on film. <laughs> was, I Does that make
3: so, it a world record?
1: Well, what, the fastest? Powered. J- powered skydive yeah. with those particular... Yeah, probably is yeah.
3: Have you got any other world
1: records? Uh, I've got some world fuss. Like, I've done a lot of like cave diving exploration and shipwrecks, like found shipwrecks. It's world fuss. So I found shipwrecks that no one knew existed or no one knew where they were. I've explored um, underwater cave systems that obviously no human being ever been in before. Um, and then world record-wise, no. Although I'm looking at one of the free dives, it's a, it's a cave diving free, like free diving in a through a cave. So, a cave system record that I might I might bash that next year. How far? Um, I'd have to go 100 meters. So it's 100 meters, uh, no fins. Down. So no, no, across. So you basically get in the cave. Uh, so the cave is obviously completely in the water. You hold, take a breath. Hold your breath swim through this submerged cave system for a hundred meters, um with no fins, just literally you know, your speedos and your mask and then that's it.
2: If you were in hybrid speedos, you'd probably do it without yeah, even yeah. trying. That's what I'm figuring. Can I'm we sponsor you to do it? Yeah. If you wear hybrid <laughs> if I've got
1: a mate that I've got a mate that runs a company who's got ma that does um diving masks in all different colours and I'm pretty sure he's got one that's hybrid purple. Oh wow. Yeah.
2: This yeah. could be it, you could wear your t-shirt, I'll, I'll, might, I'll... might hold you back a little yeah. bit with the drag, but the speedos will definitely <laughs> yeah, give you a yeah, boost. Yeah. I'll,
1: tell, uh, I'll tell Red Bull to bite me. We're bigger than Red Bull. You yeah. are. Red Bull doesn't have uh, this, this
2: sort of no, studio, no, no, no. recording <laughs>
0: studios like this of, this, of this nature.
2: They haven't got the personal touch.
0: <laughs> so are you actually the coolest person that you know then? I'm certainly top
1: three. <laughs> um...
0: <laughs> um but a definition, not really.
1: I dress really badly. Like, all I wear is jeans and T-shirts. missus always give me shit for how, how completely, unfashionably I dress. I dress like a 50-year-old boy. Um, I've got better things to do. No, right. like, the thing is, like, I, I do a lot of talks and things, and things like that. People come up to you and say, oh, I'd love to do what you do, you know. All you do is just spend your life climbing and diving and, and, and skydiving. But the reality is, if you run a bar chart with all the things I do, the things that I have a top spot is sat behind a steering wheel and sat behind a laptop. You know, the majority of the time is not doing. It's like, but you know, you, you knew you guys doing yourself, like, it's like Instagram. You know, you put on Instagram the best bitch. Yeah. You don't put yourself sat around on a laptop because it's fucking boring, right? <laughs> but that's you know, going to meetings. It's, that's but that's the majority of what it what it is. Um, but it's cool. I like it. You know, peaks and drops, everything else.
2: Do you remember like um things like your first free dive, your first skydive, your first like. Any of those things, or do they just have you just sort of like forgotten about those? Um, well,
1: I mean, I've been kind of
2: like freed of like snorkeling mm-hmm. since I was a kid,
1: so I don't remember that because I kind of got into it really young. Um, climbing, yes, because I was fourteen and my PE teacher took a couple of us out after school who we were interested in doing it. He was a big climber at the time. Um, first dive, actually, yeah, my first like dive because it was off. Port, uh, Cove Beach near Aberdeen, which is like minus five degrees Celsius. F- Scientists have figured out how the sea off Aberdeen isn't frozen solid because it <laughs> defies the laws of physics. And there's like the visibility is uh, less than zero. I don't know how that works either. But um, it's like diving in like oxtail soup, <laughs> just a very cold oxtail soup. But uh, yeah, remember that? Uh, I was in, like a wetsuit, fourteen years old, came out like cyanosis, blue lips, blue fingernails, loving it. Uh, <laughs> I was far harder as a kid than I am. If I started diving now in those conditions, i do one dive, like, this is fucking rubbish. <laughs> when you're 14, you're like, this is awesome. Uh, so, and for a skydive, well, I, I did static line jumps in the forces, so it's a paratrooper, you, you, you know, you get out and you partially, like pull straight away. Uh, free fall, yeah, I did some training out in Spain, and um, I mean, you're, you're shitting yourself, that's just natural. It's, you're jumping up an airplane from like thirty and a half thousand feet. it's... Uh, which is some meters, I don't think, a lot, couple, couple of, a couple of Um and you know, it's it's not a natural thing to do, but you know, suck it up and get on it. The um, the other thing is that I tend to, again, when you when you when I go to talks and that, you get people get this impression that you are a uh, you know an adrenaline junkie or fearless or you know, no fear, rubbish. it's all complete garbage, I'm probably the most paranoid and cautious person i like to meet, that's why I'm still alive, and that's what, because I did bomb the disposal and the forces, and that's what it's kind of taught you, the idea was that, you know, the whole point is not to take any risks, it looks like it's mega risky, but actually, if done properly, it's mega safe, yeah. so when I started skydiving, I, I read all the incident reports for the last couple of years from the US and the UK, and worked out right statistically, where, where are the accidents happening, what are people doing wrong, then you understand the physics of how a parachute works. So um, there's a there's a the motto of the of the military parachuting school actually is knowledge dispels fear. Because um, a lot of people think on oh, the forces, I'll just put someone in your back and kick you a plane. But it's been the first week just teaching you about the parachute system and how it works and actually how safe it is, so that you can okay, well actually this is no this is not as frightening as I thought it was because actually it's although it, it, instinctively you know the caveman at the back of your head is screaming at you to not jump. <laughs> because he doesn't understand technology and mechanics and physics, that you can kind of override that with, like, Hannah, I understand how and why this works, so it's fine. you still shooting yourself like that.
2: What's the um, biggest, um, what's the most common error uh, or, like, thing that people do when they're skydiving that actually causes a it's is just going to be
0: like a practical take home for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see it's just my interest. Yeah. When you go skydiving <laughs> yeah. next, just make sure you employ this one thing and you'll probably be
2: fine. What uh, one thing you can take from this podcast as well? <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's,
1: it's landings, um, you know, skydiving the free-fall park, really fast, really noisy, really scary. You open your parachute, uh that's a bit everyone is worried about, will it open? It opens, it opens perfectly. Um the vast majority of accidents and incidents and deaths and injuries happen after your canopy is opened. Well, um, it happens the last few feet on landing. They do something stupid, and they and they you know they they, they pile in the landing, they land and they switch off. They hit somebody, or they do a low turn. Basically, because when you turn, you, you lose an altitude and gain speed, um, and they just nail themselves in the deck. So the the it's one of the things that intuitively, emotively. The parachuting part feels nice and calm and safe, and the free fall seems really scary. But actually, look at the, 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 ma- the mathematics of it. It's the it's the nice, safe, calm bit that's the not kill you.
0: Um, you
3: would have thought, what, just for the most quickly. part, it's the hitting of the ground. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the dangerous that, bit. That's <laughs> what I'll get you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The air is fine. You can yeah. hit that as much as you want. You can, yeah. That's, that's, yeah that's, that is true. <laughs> if you
1: just don't hit the ground... You don't hit the ground. Which, why if you, if you get a rocket pack that you could, you could then was strong enough to so you, you, you could reverse it, so you could actually, you know, it would rocket the you know, Iron Man it, yeah, and then never hit the ground. You'd be fine.
2: If you went high enough, you could just orbit the Earth forever.
1: Yeah, I actually spoke to guy at the space agency about that, about about effectively jumping out of a of a of a of a rocket um, in parabolic flight, um, and at which point does gravity switch off? So, if you were just fractionally below that, how long would it take to free fall back there? He's still trying to work it out for me. He's a very clever man. (laughs) Do you want
0: to try it?
2: Yeah, give it a bash, mate. It was
1: quite expensive.
0: Like hundreds of millions, you probably to have to get Red Bull back in to pay for that. Yeah. We, we could give you the speedo, we probably speedos. can't fund the rocket. Yeah. We need some sort of uh re entry just... protection
1: system. Fear not, yeah. I've turned up my own. I have these purple pants just here, nicely. Be fine. I mean, I'm not a uh, material scientist, but I'm sure a pair of hybrid speedos would uh would be optimal. Oh, yeah. I'd have thought yeah. so. Well, gravity, yeah. um. <laughs> Nine point
2: eight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, well, yeah, yeah. it was a little bit chilly when we got in Lake Bled to begin
0: with, and they seemed to do all right. I, they, so? I swam
1: in Lake Bled. Oh, just you got to change positions? Because uh, I'm, I'm I'm tucked under a, as I before mentioned I'm under a table. Um, the the yeah Lake Bled for those who Tom's not upside down. He's doing like horizontal handstands. <laughs> um, lake Bled is a lake in Slovenia, uh, and it's not far from a mountain called Triglav, which is the highest mountain in Slovenia, which I've climbed the north face of, which is like a, a vertical mile, or uh, 1.6 kilometres straight up. Here we go. 1.6214, is it? Uh,
2: 1.6 to the nearest some metres. the nearest first decimal place. Yeah. Anyway,
1: so, uh, yeah, and, and I we, we went for a post-climb. It two days. Uh, swimming lake bled and it was absolutely lovely it was toasty warm but that would have been late August when did you guys go?
3: We've done it in um, June March, March. and <coughs> June
1: Was it cold in June?
3: Uh, so it was refreshing fun.
2: Ali yeah. thought it was very It was cold. a bit cold
1: yeah, uh, Did you go there's a great cold place um, there's a, basically it's a look kebab so it's like a, like a, you know like Biblos Rap in Bristol yeah. it's the, the Slovenian version of that and it's like Two euro for this massive wrap, just full of meat. Oh, we didn't meat. go there. We oh. gone there. We'll have to go back to Slovenia.
3: <laughs> yeah, we <hour. Yeah>. will <laughs> go with you. And yeah, you can
0: didn't show you? Us.
1: Yeah, didn't you go? Because you, you you ramble on about some burger place.
0: Oh, mate, it's so good. Pop's place. It's
3: yes. Incredible. There's yeah. some excellent ice cream in Slovenia as well. There is
2: really good ice cream It's worth Slovenia.
0: Slovenia just for the hamburgers and the, and the kebabs. And the ice basically. cream yeah. and kebabs. Slovenia is great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, now that we're 25 minutes into the podcast, <laughs> would you a... like to introduce yourself? <laughs> <because> <laughs> a bit <laughs> of your background, This is a bit of two-parter. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so
1: let's see. Um, I was brought up in the Highland of Scotland. Um, no. And then, yeah. Well, I was probably in Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> um, and then I left home at 16. I was a butcher for about six months. And then uh, I went to uni in Sheffield for th- three years and did zoology and, and archaeology and stuff. I might have had the odd, odd pint. And then joined the army. I uh, turned 20. or joined the forces. And then spent 10 years in the forces doing all sorts of bits. and was a diver, paratrooper, bomb disposal, Martin Cat terrorist stuff, blah, blah, blah. Did tours in... Uh, Kosovo, Bosnia, Iraq, Falklands, obviously Falklands was 97, I suppose to, you know, any time earlier than that, so there's not much going on, uh, Northern Ireland, and then I left the forces when I was 30, so 10 years, <clears throat> and then decided to start getting into kind of adventure and exploration, expeditions, and to fund that, initially did a couple of years in the old ex-forces circuit, out in like, you know, Afghan and pa- Pakistan and West Africa, um, and then using my time off from that to do expeditions and to start working out how to earn money from it. Which is, even back then, was, you know, you don't get paid to do these sort of things. You get paid to communicate them, so it be through photographs or video or uh, articles and sponsorship. And this is kind of 2006, 2007. So the internet, I mean, Facebook and obviously Instagram didn't exist and, and the social media thing wasn't a thing. So magazines actual paper magazines were still big mm-hmm. and still paid reasonably well. So I started writing for magazines like mostly diving stuff because diving is what I do best, a lot of technical stuff like rebreathers and mixed gases and deep stuff and cave diving, free diving. But Also climbing magazines and outdoor stuff, camping uh, Ali's, Ali's left the, the bunker <laughs> so bored in the ass often. Um, and then uh, yeah I can develop from there I was, a lot, I was doing some safety work and consulting for TV for documentaries for mostly diving and a bit of mountaineering stuff and that developed into ending up in front of camera. Uh, I started off in a program called Coast. And again, it was mostly doing the sort of stuff that they couldn't find anybody else to do. So they never really got me into do normal stuff. It's like, oh, we need to climb this cliff or do a cave dive or, or whatever, and then kind of wheel me in. So we're doing a little bit. I mean, the TV stuff is, you know, I do bits of it, bits of writing for for magazines, the odd talk, a bit of sponsorship, kind of just hustling and, and making ends meet. And then um, I'll do the odd bit of stunt work for TV and films as well, which is um, always really good fun, and uh, and yeah, I live in a forest by a river. I'm not going to tell you where because you're coming in steam of water. <laughs> uh, my missus is Becky Viggins Check her out: Uh Jazz singer, and I've got two children, four and. I've got two children. Yeah, two children. Four, four, two. I thought I said I've got four children. I've got two children. One's four. One's two. Um, both boys. Good, which is good because I know how to relate to boys. So I am one.
0: You uh, are a bit of a boy, aren't you? Yeah, and then
1: and then I think my the 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 peak the greatest moment in my career to date is when I found myself under um under table. Come and do (laughs) this with um, three completely nude men. (laughs) I got my pants on. I cannot tell tell a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Two and a half, three nude men, (laughs) (laughs) and that brings us up to date. So that is
2: a great summary of an excellent life. To be fair, yeah, very (laughs) solid rundown.
3: Yeah. I bet this is this has got to be the highlight in comparison to being interviewed on like the one show and on Coast and things oh, like yeah. that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> amateur sales. We, did, we didn't even get. We could go to an abseil out the window. If you want. It's certainly more
2: fun. <laughs> <laughs> My dad's got a good abseil technique out the windows. I was going to say I got plenty of towels. Towel, tie them together. Yeah, wrap it around you. Yeah, Out you go. Sorted. See, that's that's good skills.
1: Plus, I can swear. I, I swear quite a lot, but obviously when you're doing things for the BBC especially children's BBC, you can't really swear. So uh, it's frowned upon. It is massively frowned upon
2: not allowed, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's Just cut, cut, cut out. Yeah. Um, and
1: I tend only to be funny when I'm either taking the pace or swearing. So basically on telly, I'm never funny. <laughs> Ever. Just truly really dour. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I literally don't know how to be funny without being slightly offensive at the
0: same time. I don't know, I don't know how to do it. I've tried. It just doesn't, doesn't work. I've tried on TV. So that okay. sounds like quite a hectic uh, backstory and um, sort of day-to-day <laughs> life now. <laughs> How does how does sort of training factor in to that for you?
1: Yeah, oh. so I uh, said a bit back into how I ended up here. Mm. I used to train with. I met Tom at a workshop years ago, and then I started training with Tom. Or oh, training with him, training training under him. Is that is that a thing? <laughs> So Tom was my
0: trainer. Similar to table. Very
2: similar to the under a table. Yeah, t- Tom <laughs> was my trainer. <laughs> but, uh, that doesn't uh, mean I sat on him. <laughs> 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 it
1: was your trainer. I bet you, <laughs> did, you did, did a few times. I <laughs> <know>. <laughs> you trained under. I trained under.
2: <laughs> I <Tom>. trained <laughs> under <laughs> hybrid master Tom Morgan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was Luke Skywalker and his Yoda. And Tom was just doing pull-ups above you while you were doing sit-ups on the floor. And no one likes
1: Luke Skywalker. It's a shame that Han Solo didn't have a, you know, Sensei, but there we go. Yeah, Chewbacca. um, two is well, mate. I'm Understand happy to be, I'm happy that you You can be two and Albert. as long as I'm Han Solo. Yeah, for sure.
2: Um, you we haven't be? actually been through many facts yet.
1: Oh, that's right. We'll go back. So should we come back to the trading question? Yeah, yeah come let's back come to the back trading. To trading. <laughs> so. Um, this is all to go off-piste. Uh, facts. So uh, what, what sort of facts do you want? Are you a big man for... Um, I'm looking at Ali now, by the way. I realise this is not a TV thing. Um, you're a big man for space, aren't you?
2: I love space. Have
1: you heard of Drake's Equation? I have. Okay. Do you want to do it or do you want me to oh, do it? Oh, you, you do it for sure. So Drake's Equation is this thing back in the 60s by a guy called... Oh, Drake, I presume. Right? Um,
2: not the right I want to say Francis Drake, but <laughs> so part of me thinks that that actually might be yeah, um, I... Drake from Drake's Uncharted which is a PlayStation 4 game. Yes. Francis
3: Drake was a, a very famous explorer. Yes, yeah, yeah. so he yeah, is, yeah, because
2: they try and find Francis in, Drake's
1: treasure. Francis Drake was an Elizabethan explorer, mm. yeah. However, so I think a guy called, let's call him Professor Drake, <laughs> um, he came up with this equation that it looks at sort of factors of, of um, and it was just for the Milky Way, people think it's the whole universe, but it's just the Milky Way, how many, how many suns exist, how many stars exist, the chances of those having planets around them and how many numbers of planets they would be there for, Um, how the chance of those planets being able to support life, and the chances of life actually then developing, the chance of that life developing an intelligent life, and the the chance of that intelligent life having the technology to be able to communicate with us. And, uh, I mean, a lot of it's hypothetical, but it predicted a a minimum number of planets to support intelligent life that could communicate with us in our own Milky Way, not the whole universe, as 20. It's pretty decent. Considering there's like uh, 100... Hundred billion galaxies in the in the uh, in the universe. I think roughly.
2: There are many. Obviously, the Drake's equation is based almost exclusively on estimations. Oh do yeah, I, yeah. I mean,
1: because um, how do you? Yeah, it's, it's completely hypothetical.
2: But like, it is a pretty cool, pretty cool equation.
1: A lion's roar can be heard up to eight kilometers away. Can it? Yeah. Basically, for the last half of this podcast, I've been trying. To, I've tried to convert um, kilometers into. Our, our, our producer has just handed us <laughs> 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 The Podcast Elves. Frank Drake.
3: Oh, it's kind of like Francis. Yeah, it's,
2: like yeah. it's kind of like
1: Francis. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, I've been trying to convert um Miles into so eight kilometers roughly is how long are lines? Because they have not a dissertation on lines.
2: How can Did it you? be how can it be heard so far away?
1: Uh, it's by the lions. So they've be got better hearing than we have. But also oh, I think I think okay. the resonance so low Low frequencies, though, uh, like a deep roar, is going to travel further than a high pitch. Mm-hmm. It's why, like whales, so, whales um, have got very low frequency, um, you know, calls. And obviously, water um, conducts sound much better than air. Um, but they can be heard. I think whales can be heard like, is that like I think it's hundreds of nautical miles. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a long way.
3: Is that why Dai's voice never picks up on the yeah, mic? And mine my voice, does. voice
0: travels really far, but the mic hates me and never picks up my voice. They do call you the Barry White of um, yeah, yeah. hybrid. <laughs> that is what I dub myself, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I could be, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. You're too much for a man. Yeah. I like that
3: one about the lions.
2: Yeah.
1: That's a good one. Sorry, got, fact. I've got quite a lot of lions. More so, lions um, ones. More, more lions ones, yeah. They, uh, are, um, a male lion averages about seven kilograms of meat per day. I mean, they don't always eat dinner. One after they skip a day and then... a. 40, but over over a sort of week, they'll average seven kilos of meat a day for me. Lion, um, that's loads. I'm doing a masters in archaeology at the moment, and I can tell you there were seven species of hominid. Because there's a few podcasts ago oh, going. Oh, said home.
3: five last week, didn't we?
2: Seven species of hominid. Yeah. Oh. The thing is, it's
1: constantly changing because when I went to uni, which is a long time ago, uh, I think it was five or even four, but they've have now got another couple. Uh, of which five coexisted, only, okay. only for a brief time. Imagine the Venn diagram of, <clears throat> of hominids. Mm-hmm. About probably the best time would have been about one hundred fifty two two hundred thousand years ago, when five of them would have overlapped, uh, although in pretty disparate parts of the world. Uh, the coolest being Homo floresiensis, mm-hmm. which uh, comes from the Flores Island in Indonesia. That's what it's called, Florensis. but was three and a half feet tall. Yeah. But had had sort of for us be normal sized feet. So for the relative to their body size, they're quite big feet. Hobbits. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> genuinely. That's why they kind of nicknamed the hobbits because yeah, three and a half feet tall, fully grown adults with say size nine feet is <laughs> going to look like a hobbit. <laughs> um,
3: that's a great fact. Yeah. Uh, I,
1: I think it's F L O R E N S E I S. I think it's a you probably Google it.
2: There wasn't many of them, was there?
1: No. No, no, well, they're not. I mean, they've only found nine skeletons so far. Mm. Um, there's very few, and, then, and they're not sure. There's a, again, with a lot of, it. I mean, archaeology is an not a science. It's just kind of guesswork and kind of theorizing. But the, most people think that you get what's called island dwarfism or island pygmyism. I can't but basically, if you're living in a small area with limited resources, it tends to be that animals will reduce in size. Why you get? Extinct now, but pygmy elephants in, in, mm. in Indonesia, um, and actually in, in Flores Island as well. With these these guys, so they, I'm not sure they arrived as sort of normal size hominids, probably Homo uh, erectus, and then reducing size, or whether they were a small anyway before. They were, I'm not really sure, but yeah.
2: Do you know why they reduce in size?
1: Well, limit probably if well, the, the, the island theory goes, that there's limited resources, um, therefore actually being smaller, mm-hmm. especially when on an island there's no predators, so if you no pre- predation pressure. Um, and there's limited resources. Effectively, if there's limited calories within, 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 the, within the environment, the smaller you are, the less your daily calorie uh, requirements are, and therefore your better your chance of survival. So you know it actually it, it increases your it's natural selection to become smaller. And there's no there's no paradoxical pressure to get bigger from mm-hmm. because there's no predation because obviously there's lots of predators you need to be big to scare them off or fight them off whatever else it is. But uh, our there isn't which is why you often find small dwarf species of animal, like the pygmy uh, elephant, in these small islands. It's an excellent
2: fact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can tell us more about training if you like me.
1: Training. Yeah. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually, I, I even texted Tom saying this would be a two-parter. <laughs> so so training-wise, I've i got a lot of injuries. i broke broken my back with 22. My knees are completely shot away. I've got pins in one leg. I've got permanent tears with my shoulders, so I'm pretty, pretty badly broken. Also, you know, I am the least qualified guest that will ever be in this podcast, I am not a personal trainer or a physio or a doctor, Um, I have made an awful lot of mistakes and continue to do so, but um, what I did for years and years and years, especially in the forces, is that you beast yourself and the idea of mobility or even stretching before or after, of that just doesn't happen, you just continue to break yourself more and more and more and more, which is why I'm pretty stiff in certain places. Um, and that's got nothing new with the fact I'm under table with you know, <laughs> <good> men. <laughs> um, but, so I, I've almost kind of, now I write intuitive programs in that I, I don't count calories. I eat pretty healthy from home, you know, because we, and it's it's probably judged now as like healthy eating, but 20 years ago it was just called eating, where you got <laughs> ingredients and you made food, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you made soup. Like, I, it workable, oh yeah I made some soup last night. My God, you make your own soup. How do you make tomato soup? You get a lot of tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) I looks amazed (laughs) soup can be made (laughs) You know, and you get a big thing of water and maybe a couple of stock cubes and some basil, chuck it in, boil it for a while and then whizz it up, done. You know, beetroot soup's pretty much the same. Um, <laughs> are there any soups that are not the same process no it's like, <laughs> i make i make i make lentil soup for the kids and uh well, what do you put in lentil soup you well, we put lentils in water and then whatever veg you have got in the house that's kind of on the turn goes in so literally and it's the best we get in five or six portions of veg into two very small children really easily it's just it's lentil soup is
0: one of those things lentils plus whatever else you want to throw in there well um We'll do a video with Andy making soup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, that can be a Instagram TV series. Yeah, can, yeah. yeah. We'll up. do it in our pants. Signal yeah. principle. Oh, a really Each other's parts. So you wrong. Yeah, but cook, cooking in your pants at Andy's. Yeah, yeah. that could,
2: could be a new series. Be careful yeah. of the hot fat. Not put hot fat in soup. soup. <laughs> if, we, if we
1: branched to other forms of cooking, no, 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 we just just
2: stick the soups. We'll nail that niche first. Yeah. yeah, we're going to really hammer home the. Because we, we already know that you can make any soup. Yeah, any with soup. any veg, and the technique is <laughs> the <exact> same technique <laughs> remains the same. I don't know how we right.
0: can
1: exhaust that. It's pretty much There's so many variations of soup we All it's, it's just only one s- episode. <laughs> because you make one, so you go, right, there you go, guys. That's, no, that's
2: no, you no, 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 you want to make sure that they know how to make it <laughs> for okay. across all. Okay. Because it doesn't matter how many times you say something, mm-hmm. people often will ask, how do you Because we that? still
0: get asked how to make whey paste. Still. You stir whey and water or milk a little bit together. Have you? Have, what you want to try, then, is whey, whey
1: mixed with yoghurt and then freeze it. It's like whey protein ice cream. So get some good yogurt and some some whey powder, mix it together, put in the freezer. Boom, mm. that's good. That, go.
2: Strong whey paste frozen is that's hard to beat. To be, to be honest, If you, well, yeah. you with yo- try the yogurt, yogurt. I imagine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon yogurt. I good. think it would be not thick enough. Oh yeah, you, you like
1: it too thick. Mm. So we just add more. Just change the ratios of yogurt to, to powder. Yeah,
2: he's got a point. Yeah, <laughs> <After that laughs> but then you it wouldn't be. I don't know. Well, maybe we have to try it.
1: It's Very negative. <laughs> Ali Ali gets very defensive. Right, if you right, try can, can an And way pace is as good as it's going to get. All right, all right. <laughs> he Jesus. I, I don't want to get in an argument because literally <laughs> all our heads are about three inches apart now. Um, to be about, honest, none of us want to get in an argument <laughs> with you. So. Um, for training. So, when did you start training? <laughs> um, I mean, as a kid, you're. I did a lot. Of, I used to go walk, hill walking, and mountain biking, and climbing and all that stuff. So I was trained there. But nowadays, because all the injuries, because like the walking is quite physical, the most important thing is to be able to work tomorrow. I'm very fortunate is that I built a, a, a gym, um, basically in my house, or about an outbuilding in my house, uh, next to my house. So I can train when I'm at home every day if I want. So what I've found now is that training slightly. Easier but more consistently. So, I don't get in the gym and I don't thrash myself because all that happens then is A, I get injured, or be- best case scenario is I'm not injured but I'm fucked for the next day, which I can't afford to be work wise. So, um you know, I do a lot more body weight stuff. I'm trying now, in the last set of six months, to do a lot more mobility and flex- flexibility. So, I need to work on because go- now what's holding me back isn't how much I can, I can pick up or how many pull ups I can do, it's that my back and my hips and my knees hurt. So, as much as I find all that stuff really boring, I need to address that. Um, so I need to invest more time in stretching and physio and less time in bicep curls, unfortunately. Although, that's bicep always <laughs> time for bicep curls. Um, always time for bicep curls. So at the moment, what I'm finding is that I'm doing, like like deadlifts, like, I don't deadlift anymore. I do deadlift, but I do single leg deadlifts. Because I find that um, I don't need to be able to pick up massive heavy weights. Um, Again, because I've got my own gym, I train on my own, which is bad in some ways, but in other ways, it means the ego's at the equation. You know, If, I've, if I say right, I'm going to do four sets of ten, and in the third set, i have get a shoulder niggle, I'll, I'll just stop. It's fine. I'll just walk away from it. You know, I won't push it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I find is I'm actually fitter because of that, because I can train consistently. Well, what I used to do before was thrash for two weeks, and then I had like, three weeks off because I couldn't move. You know, my back was bugged, <laughs> my shoulder was fucked. Um... So a lot of one one legged stuff because you can load that still without like doing, you know, one legged deadlifts with a forty five kilogram kettlebell. You do well, what I'm doing the moment is do you do sets of eight to ten with that, but each rep's got to last ten seconds. Which is like so it's savagely slow down. Really works control and Jesus, it's it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Yeah, that sounds brutal. But yeah. what I'm fine is the next day I'm fine, you know. So I'll be massive. And I'm doing more we'll circuit training again, conditioning back up, and the, the body weight stuff, which actually brings me seamlessly onto that. I've just purchased the, uh, the fine hybrid uh, handstand ebook, uh, which is very, very amusing. That's good. That is, I like the way you've done that. You yeah. do. Yeah.
0: That's um, not hashtag gifted and not hashtag ad either. Yeah, no, they, no. no they I it. It with <laughs> with, with his own money. It's like
1: fourteen pound, forty nine pence or what? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. That Bargain. uh No, it's 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 uh, it is excellent. But what I like about it is that. Well, I'm not far into it yet, so it might. It, <laughs> it physically might be, but yeah. it looks really cool. It's all very quite uh, computer That's the game, main thing, isn't computer it? game yeah. Well, it's just something. It's a bit more fun, isn't it? Rather yeah. than just being like, here's a black and white book. It's a bit boring. Whereas well, actually, quite good fun. Yeah. Picture um, books are
2: loads better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Need lots of pictures.
1: Yeah, there's monkeys on it, and uh, <laughs> and babies, and an elephant, <laughs> yeah.
3: and babies.
2: Yeah. yeah, all kinds of uh, all kinds different of pictures.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mentioned? That you sort of had this mentality of feeling like you had to beast yourself when you went into the gym. Yeah. Where did that come from and what sort of caused you to change that
1: thinking? I think, I mean, certainly, my background in the forces, you know, everything's done at 100% or just don't jump at all. Um, and I think, in general, you think that to get, and you know, my mentality is usually you work hard. That's how you, That's how you get stuff done, you work hard. And the harder you work, the, the the better you'll be, or at least the more deserved you will be of, of you know winning. Um and I think also this is quite pervasive at the moment in, in social media, like in Instagram, it's like you no know, beast mode and all which is fine once in a while. If for nothing else, just to build a bit of mental fortitude, you know, just go out and thrashing yourself. It's just it's just now and again it's good for you. But if you're going to do it, I would do it with like circuits rather than with like massive heavy weights where you could injure yourself. Your technique's not fine. I mean, it's different for guys like yourselves or kind of elite athletes. But for the average person in the street, and when I say the average person in the street, I mean the average listen to this. I somebody who trains a gym and does a bit, but they aren't elite. I mean, the average person in the street isn't listening to podcast because they they're just going to watch Love Island and eat McDonald's. <laughs> um, so the average training adult should say shouldn't going right i'm going to try and you know do like a max olympic lifting today without any proper training because you're, you're going to hurt yourself Whereas if you do like bodyweight circuits you can pretty much thrash yourself an injured your life and you're not going you to yourself you know well, probably not anyway um and i've changed that simply because all the evidence and that's obviously personal evidence suggested that it was a terrible thing to do because i just kept I'd, I'd do it, I'd get injured, and I was thinking, this is, the, you know, and it took me like years. I, I kept doing it. It's one of those bizarre things. It's like you know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again, expect different results. So I'd keep beating myself and keep getting injured. And then eventually think, hang on a second, this, hang on a minute, make <laughs> a second, this isn't right. Um, and actually, I was training with Tom, he was always driving home the idea of consistency that that's, that's, that's key. You're better off doing less with less weights. Five days a week, then like a massive B session on Monday, and then I'm the rest of the week off because you're you know you're crippled. And when I started doing that, training like five or six times a week, but really taking it easy, you know, not you know doing like three sets around five sets, you know. Um, after a month or two, I was fitter, and I was stronger, and I was healthy. You know, so in fact I was less injured. So um, and I wasn't getting DOMS or whatever else. so I was always able to. I, I could, the phone call could have gone you know, just after a session, so we need you right now to go and climb a cliff. I could go on and done it. So, um it was kind of hard, hard-fought lesson um, after years of doing it wrong. Or for and I should say that, because I get on Instagram that people email me like stuff about training programs and I don't write training programs for anyone else because I'm not qualified and I wouldn't know what to do. I do what works for me because I've learnt that over the years of doing it badly wrong. And I wouldn't. I'm not, that doesn't mean that I should say, oh, they, I do it this way, therefore it's right for everybody. Because if you're, 22 years old and healthy and fit, then don't train like me because actually you can do a whole lot more. I'm just broken. I think I think
3: what you're saying, like in terms of like you said, we could train like as in s three, we could train hard all the time and it not affect us. That's actually like not quite true yeah, all. not <laughs> true at all. Like like our sort of max effort is probably a little bit higher than what most like average person is, but in like relation to that, we still train like most of the time like. 65, 70%. Probably more
0: like sub-max than most people that go to the gym. Like yeah. On a day-to-day basis, our actual like level of intensity is probably relatively low for most people.
2: But that's way. like... um You were saying, like, oh, maybe that isn't the way that an athlete should train or whatever, but it, it actually is. It's really... An, an athlete's training should be set up in a manner that allows them to perform whatever sport they're trying to do at their absolute best. And there's almost... Well, there's unequivocal evidence really that the best way to perform your best is to not always give your absolute all in each session. Yeah. It's to like progressively try and get a little bit stronger here, like so that you can then give your all in that one event, whether that's, you know, you're a footballer and you play once a week, or whether that's um, you're a skydiver and you jump once every sort of two months, or whatever it is, you're trying to position your training so that you can then perform your absolute best in your event. Not so that you can kill yourself every single day in the gym, because that will actually mean that when you do your event, you're going to be a lot worse. Yeah.
1: You know, thing. I mean, it makes it easier for me, motivation-wise, because if people are just training for the sake of training, or they're training to get better in the gym. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I, I would suggest it's worth having a go at taking up a sport or an activity that you train for, because once you're training for something, suddenly it gives you more motivation. It's something you enjoy. Like I know climbers. Who all they do is like they will just boulder, you know, climb off, climb five days a week, um, and to get better at climbing, and they enjoy it, so they do it, and they're like they're ripped. I mean, the guys are They don't do any gym, work, they don't do any run, they just they just climb, but they but they're motivated to climb because they enjoy it and it's what they want to achieve. It's like or a triathlon or whatever else. But I just think it's easier to if you're training for something, and it also gives structure to your to your your training program,
0: you know. So. So how much um, sort of leads on? How much do you actually like program and structure your training or do you sort of have a checklist of things you want to get done across the week?
1: No, I'll, I'll, at the moment, um, I have to keep it flexible. So the moment I've actually got, I've got um, sort of two training programs um, that I'll try and do each one twice a week. So they're kind of of semi whole body, not quite whole body. One's almost like a, a kind of, legs and push the well, ones are like have horizontal ones of that but anyway yeah. it's just it's sort of two semi body we do both of them twice a week so it's your four sessions um but and then a day of just um i literally have no idea i will go to the gym and just practice skills you know well, um like you guys talk about skill and play it's like that it's kind of just going to you go know, well, well, i'll do some ring work and some levers and some handstand training or whatever else but just stuff which actually is pretty whole body and, like doing yeah. levers, is pretty intense anyway um and then after the, 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 the two whole body this, um, sessions, I'll do some circuits just to get a bit of conditioning there, say like twenty minutes. Um, but what it means is is that if I've got a flat out week when I can only make do two sessions, then I've I've hit my whole body in those two sessions. If I've got a week at home, i can do six, where well, I can throw in another, depending on how I'm feeling. Um, so yeah, for me it's, it's it's kind of flexibility, and it's less about the moment when I'm working. It's more about maintaining. Yeah. than it is about getting fitter. Um, whereas over the winter, when I'm doing less, then I go, right, I'm going to try and really structure this and have it kind of planned out. Because um, the other thing is that I often can't take rest days because I'll end up being like, I'll be working a, a five-day week yeah. with 16 hours a day, and then, so I'll train at the weekend when I'm at home. So not really resting, you're doing five hard days at work, which are physical, and then two training days. But that means that I won't, you know, won't trade at all in those five days. But again, the other thing for me at the moment is that if I get, I've got half an hour on a on a, on a work day, but half an hour, I won't start banging the press ups. I'll start doing some stretching work because actually, much I don't really like it. It's not really a, a much I think I know much about. I'm trying to increase my knowledge on that. I think for me right now, it is the thing that's holding me back. Like I don't need to do any more pull ups yeah. for my job. <laughs> I don't need to get any better at you know single leg deadlift. That was Tom his head on the table by the way. Um, what I do is become more flexible for work, but also that will help with my injuries to get home me back at work. So it's going kind to of be, because I have that motivation, if I if I, if I had a, an office job, I'd probably be less motivated to deal with my injuries and get more flexible because I wouldn't have as much need to deal with them. Um,
0: yeah. So you were saying like at the moment your focus is just on sort of maintaining, mm-hmm. and then you said about... Uh, sort of having other sports and pursuits outside of the gym to yep. sort of have something to train for. Yeah. So what is your measure of progress then? If you were at a phase, you're like, well, I, I got like three, four months now where I know I'm not away as much and I want to really structure my training. What is the measure that you sort of measure your progress by? Well,
1: it's, it's kind of, It changes and it has changed over the years. Like this winter, what my plan is, is to focus a lot on um, in the gym those suppose, slightly arbitrary goals, things like build your handstand. Yeah. Um, because I think although it's a bit of an arbitrary goal, I don't need to be able to do a handstand for work necessarily. And it's not go it's not handstand in and of itself isn't functional because there's very rarely you have mm-hmm. to do a handstand. But the journey to get you there has so much benefits. Yeah. You know, it's gonna be because my T spine's not flexible, my shoulders aren't flexible you know, or wrists aren't flexible so all those things, my core I think in places is weak. So being able to do the handstand isn't really the goal. The goal is to get all the benefits that that requires. But it, but aiming for that end goal gives you a, a nice structure to your sort of training that will take care of all these deficiencies. So, um, yeah, just, just and I'm going to start, I'm going to sort of evening, one evening a week to an analog gymnastics class. So I just want to work in my kind of mobility, flexibility, body weight, kind of performance, that stuff, because that'll have huge holdovers rather than like being able to hit a 160 kilogram deadlift, which is, fine but for me it doesn't have any direct benefits for what I do and secondly with the condition of my lower spine it just carries too much risks whereas I found doing one legged deadlifts with much lighter weights um, my back's always absolutely fine.
3: Yeah well, the thing with single leg work is that you basically take the load off the spine Mm. because your one leg is obviously much much less strong than working bilaterally um, which is on two legs so it. There's you can like work that lower body limb without overloading the spine. So, for, like, if you have got lower back issues, it's an excellent way to train.
1: Plus, with a pistol squat, I'm sure the mechanics aren't quite the same. But if I weigh eighty kilos and I'm doing a pistol squat, that's the same as doing a deep squat with an 80 kilogram bar across my back. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, you know. Yeah.
0: So, no, well, there's a thing called the bilateral deficit where your the weight you lift total. So, if you like your back squat versus a one legged squat, um, and it's not just sort of one plus one equals two. And it's always really interesting because I sort of struggled for a couple of years with like my back as well. But it's really interesting because it's definitely my back that is the limiting factor when I do like a bilateral, like a normal back squat. Because I'm pretty much as strong as Tom and Ali. Then when it comes to like reverse lunges and single leg lifts, I'm as strong, can load them up really heavy. And then as soon as it's like a back squat or something like that, there's a huge deficit but in my strength. And is that because you think your back's weaker or do you think it's neurological
1: and says your, your body is actively trying to not let you lift more weight because it's concerned about your spine? The idea, I might put that very well, but the, the idea is that, you know, when you've got a, a pain or an injury, yeah. your body subconsciously kind
0: of protects that by, by making you weaker. Yeah, well, that's what, like, pain and stuff is like, really, really interesting. It's a huge topic, isn't it? So my – but your, your brain and your body does – really, really interesting things to sort of try and protect you. So because I've dealt with so much pain and stuff in the past, it probably is just an like an element of it just being a protective mechanism. I just feel really uncomfortable when I start back squatting really heavy.
3: Yeah. So you're like your tissue tolerance as a result of having had an injury will be lower, but your perception of pain will be dramatically lower compared to an like a normal person who's not had back pain or not had a back injury before so you just start to kind of sense that discomfort like you you start to get a bit nervous about it a lot sooner than someone who's never had that that injury before and that's kind of the same with like not just backs but like any kind of any kind of pain or injury really yeah Yeah,
2: it's like you're um just so people understand properly like it's you've got in like a normal healthy functioning let's say back your your back will give you pain at an amount of like um at a when you, when you reach a certain level of, like, a certain threshold that is quite dangerous. But as you get injured and you've had previous injuries and stuff, your back will give you pain before um, you are even at a dangerous level um, to, to cause any tissue damage. Um, and so, like, if that's only a little bit off, then you'll be as strong as you probably always were. But when that becomes a big difference and you get, start get given pain, um, you know, at, at really when you're half the way to even causing any tissue damage, you're really going to struggle to um, do things that, uh, like like do squats or deadlifts or whatever whatever it actually is that causes that uh, thing to be painful, and uh, and use that as a tool to get better. And so, like you said, there's loads of different things you can do, like do a single leg deadlift because that's going to massively reduce the actual load that your spine's got to tolerate whilst. Um, meaning that you can get an enormous training effect for the hamstrings and glutes because that's all a deadlift is it's just yeah. a big training stimulus for the, you know your whole posterior chain including like your like from your hip to your shoulder your the, the whole sort of um the whole element of your back all the way up your erectors um they're working really 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 hard in a deadlift um and if you just do a single leg um piece then they're still working hard but the actual load they've got to lift is literally halved or if not if you're going to do some like really slow eccentrics as well uh, really slow lowering, that's going to mean that you can use even less load get as much training effect through the muscles that you're trying to work and really um ensure that you don't get anywhere near that sort of like level of um level that's going to cause you any pain so you could just like train really really hard or like just get really really good training effects without any risk of even being in pain, because it's not only just like being injured, it's like it's shit to train and be in pain. Yeah.
3: yeah. And it's it's also like realizing that pain, like like Ali said, just pain doesn't always mean damage. So like mm-hmm. a paper cut, for example, really painful, mm-hmm. actually like very minimal damage. It's, it's like the same kind of thing. If you've had an injury before, you're just hypersensitive to it. Yeah. And obviously the more you kind of like fire that pain signal up, the, the kind of longer and harder it is to kind of get rid of it after that.
0: Probably um so we're saying Ben Cormac's done a couple of Instagram posts recently which have been excellent, talking about the relationship between between pain and like especially lower back pain and previous injuries and how there's so many different factors affect it and people generally like to think of themselves as being a bit like a machine. Um, and uh, you know, something must be broken and if we fix that thing then I'll no longer have pain and that's just not the case at all with humans. Like pain has got so much more to do with like perception and things you believe around injury and why you're injured. Um, so we'll link that in the show notes because he probably does a much better job of explaining it than um, than we do. Yeah, he's
2: got some excellent things. Yeah, like his stuff, really, his content recently has been excellent. His content yeah. has been pretty... He can
1: lose control, that. so I've got... Um, when I spinae, I'm, I'm trying to do stuff to gain control of that because at the moment, they, they, I think when my back was bad, were like locking up to try and support the lower spine, and now they just switch on all the time, and when they switch on, it's like max effort and i can't i seem to have lost any actual control over that muscle so even you're doing you know bicep curls my spirit is, come on so, which in self cause you pay because they tighten up and become yeah. cramped and all that stuff and that runs up your back and into your shoulders so um yeah it's, it's a subject that i i'm trying to educate myself about because actually it's probably one of the things that has the single biggest impact on my training and my performance um rather than as i say before how, how many bicep curls i can do
3: it's funny, when I used to train Andy, I used to ask him where he would feel an exercise, let's say, a, a bicep curl, and it would either be low back or traps. Yeah. And the, those are the only two places yeah. he felt stuff. Yeah.
1: Literally, where do you feel this? I uh, yeah, feel, 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 feel my traps. Like, mate, it's, it's a calf just, raise. Yeah. Yeah. It's a single left bodyweight calf raise. I'm just telling you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> do like sit-ups. Where, where, where in your abs do you feel it? I feel my erectus spinae. Yeah. That's like that's a bicep curl I feel in your tricep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
2: It's so funny, isn't it? you know. You have a client, and you're like trying to. You ask them, "Oh, where do you feel it?" And they say something. just like completely left field, and you're like, "How?" I'm almost annoyed that this is the answer that you're giving me. I
3: don't understand how you can feel that there.
2: <laughs> doing like um doing like a dumbbell bench press. Where do you feel that? Oh, I feel it um I feel it in my bicep. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh,
0: what, 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 it's um oh, I, oh, I think oh. the one I get most of is lap pull downs. Lat pull downs <laughs> that, that you feel in your anterior delt.
2: And tricep. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Don't know how that can be the case. <laughs>
1: my trap's much better than it used to be, uh, yeah. and that's mostly doing lower trap work. Mostly, like you know, the handstand and stretching stuff, just working that scapula. Yeah. It's made a massive difference. But I didn't really do that until I start with you, and working that just get because when I first started doing it, I literally didn't know how to pull my like I didn't physically know how to pull my scap. If you said to me now, your bicep, you go, "Ah, oh, it's easy." Right, tension lower traps. Right, or, That's or, quite a hard yeah. One. <laughs> or, or pull your trap, pull your scapula down. I, I physically, don't know how to do that. <laughs> uh, whereas now I can, I can do it. But that, but working that has massively helped my traps.
0: Um, one thing we've sort of heard quite a few questions on recently, and we were talking about it a bit on the Lift the Bar podcast that we, we were on, was uh, people struggling with motivation to train. Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you? Ever struggled with sort of motivation to train, yeah. And yeah. what what are sort of some of the things you'd um, go back doing to get around that?
1: Well, not everyone does, right? Everybody train. I mean, I've I've done TV stuff with Olympic athletes, and and, and they're the same. Like everyone struggles at some points, and that everyone has short term ones. i.e. I just can't be asked today, or long term ones, you know. Um, so again, you got to be careful with this the Instagram kind of culture where it's like, yeah, beast mode every day, train seven days a week. It's just it's counterproductive and it's just. Bollocks, quite frankly. Um, so three things I'd say: one, doing stuff you enjoy doing. And I guess i this a lot, but it's true. Again, if you're a elite athlete or you've got someone you're like a, a particular sport, you're very motivated to get better at, which may require you doing stuff you don't like. Well, that's fair enough. But for the average person, in the street, you know what? Do 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 what you like doing. If you like doing five sets of five, rather eight sets of, sets of Ten and do that, you know. What I mean, it's not going to make that much difference. People get too wrapped up in like sets and reps, and I like, Jesus Christ, you do something. So you do something you enjoy. It does require motivation because you actually want to do it. Um, second thing for me, you know, I was fortunate in that um, I built a gym in my house. So again, it doesn't. I don't. Time's not an issue. You know, and it is much easier to motivate yourself to walk across your drive than it is to get in the car and drive to the gym and all yeah. sort of stuff. Um, and l- lastly, as I've already said, it's part of my job. So. I've kind of got to stay reasonably fit and healthy in order to pay the mortgage and feed my kids, you know, which is a which is a promoter. And actually, more recently, because, you know, doing the stunt stuff recently, I've got a bit battered. My four-year-old, I pick him up, and am like, oh, you know, it's getting harder because he's getting heavier and I'm a bit more injured. I'm like, right, I, I need to, again, Jesus Christ, I, I need to take care of these injuries and these issues because in 10 years' time, I want to be able to, I'm climbing i don't want to be one of those blokes at 50 who is completely wrecked and my body is pretty much wrecked I've got a lot, you know. so i want to minimize how much or how less it gets wrecked over the next 10 years so um yeah that's that's it i mean but but again what you guys do very well is you create kind of communities and that's because that's where crossfit I'm not, I'm not a big yeah. advocate of crossfit but what it did well is it created a community where you want to go and hang out with your mates um, it didn't really matter how hard you train, the fact you turned up is enough. So, you know, that's, that's always helpful.
3: Did, did, did you find it hard to kind of build the habit around training at home? Because like, I think for a lot of people, it's like, even if they have a gym or have some equipment at home, it's like they're almost more likely to do it if they go to the gym to do it.
1: Yeah, I think for me, no, because I always like when I was in the road, in hotels. Or, you know, if I've seen a travel lodge, I'd find a pure gym, you could pay like five quid and just use it for the day. So I've almost always trained alone, very seldom had training partners, so I got kind of used to it. Um, the thing that I think people do, because I did it when I used to live in Bristol, in my garage I set up a little gym, but a garage, has no windows, it's completely lightless. It's really freezing cold in the winter. You're wearing a duvet jacket and a, and a woolly hat to train the whole way, even you, know, just, you never get warmed up. So often, home gyms, in inverted commas, are pretty dingy, like oppressive places to train. Yeah. They're not nice places to train. So you'd much rather go to a gym, which is often airy and it's got nice showers and you know, whatever. But whereas so the gym I've got at home now it's pretty good. Lots of glass, lots of windows, it's south facing. You know, it's a nice big space. Again, the gym in Bristol was a single garage and half the garage was obviously full of stuff. So it gets really cramped. Whereas, um, so I think that's a factor. I think if, if everybody had a really nice, inviting, welcoming mm-hmm. gym in their home, a place yeah. they like to spend time, they'd find it much easier. But often home gyms, by their very nature, are pretty shitty places. Yeah,
3: I guess as well, because it's like, it's actually an outbuilding, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's it's almost easier. Like I think a lot of people probably, if, if the gym was actually in their house, they'd like go in and then do something. And be like, oh, I just need to go do this, and like they'd never actually fully get into doing a session because they'd always like be just going like, oh, I'll go make a cup of coffee or I'll go do this, and then kind of get yeah. distracted and do other bits. Whereas yours is kind of like it's almost separate. Yeah, it's, so. it's a
1: separate physical build a giant shed basically. Um, but uh, and what I will do, unless I'm waiting for a particular email or phone call that I need to take when I'm training, I'll uh, I'll. Turn off, you know, Wi-Fi and put my phone on on uh, plane mode, just because it's like, you know, nothing's that important. it's very easy to get distracted. You get an email come in. that's not important, but you stop to read it anyway. Yeah, it's not important. You think I'll just fucking answer it, and then literally 50 minutes have gone by, and you're like, oh, right, where was
2: I? <laughs> yeah. yeah, your um, gym as well is um, like you, you've built such a quality little place. Yeah, and you you wouldn't get that almost. It's, it's so, so you would not get that any pure. Um, or like anywhere around generally so if you're um training other places like you wouldn't have all your monkey bars or your bits do ring stuff yeah i mean i, that bu- sort of cool shit that I built it courage.
1: specifically for what i like to do and what i need to do so it's it's basically a, a giant monkey bar set with two sets of gym rings at different levels as well because i've got one for doing you know pull-ups and ring work and then one for doing like dips and that sort of stuff in just it's a low, low set.
2: Just on that, how ridiculous is it that when you've got to move rings from being low to being high, it makes you not do something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah.
0: True. If you had one set of rings, you wouldn't do ring chins and. No,
2: oh, I, it's too it? much effort to put. into for the dips. Forget it. I'm um, forget <sighs> well, I mind, it. I don't think
3: I'd take a set of rings with me to a commercial gym if I, <laughs> even yeah. if I want to do some ring work. <laughs> no, <you laughs>
2: know, we recommend that
3: to everyone. Don't we don't do, don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I struggle to do that consistently. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So I'll tell you what
0: would help to make a difference though, the um. Ring straps that Mark had out in Slovenia have just got, like, marks on them so you know what height the rings yeah, are. Really yeah. It learn. makes it so much easier than, like, faffing to set the rings the up. thing is, the my, my
1: anchors, yeah. for my, like, chin-up sort of ring work ones, high-ring ones, you've got to climb up the frame to get to the,
3: you
1: know... <laughs> so... It's actually a bit of an effort. Like it takes like a couple of minutes to change them, so I just spent yeah. another ten quid and bought another set of gym rings. Cause yeah. hey, I'm just flash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, but to make gym rings, I've got this little thing which is basically like a a wooden block covered foam on a little sling that you can put. I'm not this very well. But you can put behind a, or basically on the outside of a hotel door, your hotel room door and the sling comes inside, and you attach your rings to that, so you can basically, like a TRX, I don't, I don't buy TRX for like yeah. 120 quid for basically basic set of gym rings, which you can buy for 20 quid. But it means you can do um, pooling exercises in a hotel room. You know, it means you're at 45 degrees kind of thing, but you're doing like, you can do you know, rows, bodyweight rows, Because I find in hotel rooms, it's very easy to do you know, legs, you can do single leg deadlifts, bodyweight deadlifts, you can do loads of squats, pistols, pistols, also loads of press-ups, handstand press-ups, if you want peak press-ups, but Pulling exercises are, are harder, but a set of gym rings, are basically a little door stopper on them, uh, and you're good to go.
2: Just on that topic, yeah, that's part of the reason why um, so many people who do a lot of yoga just miss such a massive part yeah, of, yeah. Um, of training because they just forget, or well, um, maybe even a lot of them don't know, that you can do so much stuff in yoga, but you can't do any sort of row. No, you literally no, can't no. do a pull. Um, and so, that every yoga studio should literally be fitted out with a set of rings or with a set of TRX. Yeah. And that's why. Um, it's so cool to see it in uh, Wild Wolves actually. That yeah. They got a of rings because it's just like that's the one thing that every yoga studio is missing. Mm. Yoga's excellent, like it's so good. That's oh, great. But there's if you just do yoga, you are missing out on, on l- almost every single pull exercise except little ones you can do around your scap. So,
1: what yeah. you're saying is that every yoga studio should have a pull up bar on the door and everyone's got to do 20 pull ups before you can come in. Is that what you're saying? And leave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just qualify. Buy in. And, and Ali out. says you have to build your to 20 pull ups yeah, every yoga. time you enter a Leverage yeah. you, you go studio, you. otherwise, you are a dick. I think I'd struggle on a bad <laughs> yes. day. Yeah, That's pretty. That's pretty, uh, 20 is a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's no. hard. That's Ali, by the way, saying that. Was your, was yeah. your, uh, that, was that was a very quite, absolutist yeah. comment, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of hate mail over that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you know, you should not sit in the fence. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh right should we should we start wrapping up a little bit should we start wrapping up we can always do part 2 we can always do part 2 we're doing part 2 aren't we at some point? we're definitely going to do a part oh, 2 because i want to come got, play
2: in your gym it sounds excellent we got a yeah. special um special announcement on the next one secret for now <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: so but it won't be till april yeah, uh, so afraid. stay
2: stay tuned. Yeah, you have You're to gonna... wait. You have to wait like ten months or could, something. We
1: probably <laughs> call it in March, but we won't go out April. Um, There's a teaser. See, so keep listening to these podcasts. We know in April
2: because you never know when part two is going to come out. Well, they know that it's going to be. A long way away. <laughs> yeah. It be, it'll be around April. You could, you could tune out until April <laughs> yeah. and then come back. I mean, they know pretty definitively when. Yeah. They'll miss
1: out on all the in jokes. <laughs> they That's will. Like, like, for example, before we wrap up, can we just qualify something? And this, this goes all the way back to the very first episode. So if you're not listening, you need to go back. Um, Venusian. Venusian is the correct term from somebody who comes from Venus. Venusian.
0: Venusian. Or Venusian. Depends how you pronounce it. Not Venetian. Not Venetian. Venetian.
2: That's basically what I was saying there. No, but there's different. Yeah, but it's like... different word. That said, it's, the, thing, it's really. the
1: correct term for something that probably doesn't exist, so it's a bit, you know... It's, a, it's very
2: ambiguous. Much of a muchness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Although I did like your fact.
0: It's a great fact. <laughs> it was a great fact.
2: But we shouldn't
1: yeah. say yeah. But we shouldn't say on the facts. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no, no. You'll you, have to go back no. and listen to it yeah. as well. If you want to know the great fact that Ali had in the very first episode, you need to go back and listen to the first episode. But it revolves around Venus.
0: It's um, only if you can hear it over
2: Ali rapidly typing to try and yeah. research other facts. <laughs> and um, turning my watch right in front of the mic. Yeah, yeah.
1: Tom probably give said something really interesting, but uh, we'll never know because we can't hear it over no, Ali. No, he doesn't Ali. do Who that very often.
0: <laughs> um, so if there was sort of one thing that you think you said that might be useful to someone, or one piece of advice you'd like to give out. you A take-home message, if yeah. you will. Yeah um what would you like your legacy to the world <laughs> to be
1: you know what well, Fun enough so last year regardless of what instagram looks like last year wasn't a great year for me injuries and financially and career There's a lot of things that were meant to happen didn't happen so last year was a shit year and i'm far better off because of it gives you perspective and uh, i said a mate once that i said like no one has an epiphany when everything's going well like you know no one has ever said, "Yeah, you know, my, my my job was really well. I was I got promoted. My wife, me, my wife, were loads of sex. My kids were great. They were doing really at school. Loved my house. My mates were brilliant." And, uh, and then I found God. Mm-hmm. Like no one says that, right? You know, people have epiphanies when things are not going so well. And what it, and actually, then the good things have happened this year. the really brilliant things have happened this year, which you'll find out in the April. <laughs> um, the, um, the that you kind of realise that sometimes. What makes you happy wasn't what you thought made you happy. And again, come back to social media, success is often judged on how famous you are or how powerful you are, how much money you've got. And if power and money and fame makes you happy, that's fine. But this is the absolute and I've only really let this last kind of year. But the winner is the happiest bloke in the room. That's who wins. So if making a million quid makes you happy, cool, go buy all my means and do it. But I've kind of found that that some of the stuff I now realize that, that makes me happy. And I'd rather do A than B, even though B actually carries with it more fame and more money. You mm-hmm. think, oh well, I was chasing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, more than anything else, it's like, right, don't you need to find out what makes you happy. Don't and don't assume what other people or the internet tell you will make you happy, i.e. money, fame, whatever else. You need to decide what successful is for you. And by any measure, as I say, the happiest bloke in the room is the one who wins. I
0: love that message. Yeah, that's, that's lush. an excellent take home. Let's leave it at that, I think, because that's lush, isn't it? Yeah.
3: trying to tell people where they can find you? In your... In you your
1: can- You can find me uh, under a table, uh, surrounded by Is this your new happy place? Is that what you really meant? In the last hour, uh, you found out that you're uh, really happy under a table Uh, with four blokes. And I win, because I'm surrounded by
2: naked men, (laughs) under a table, uh, and under some duvets. But you might not be the happiest in the room, though. That's true. Because your your, your presence is making us very happy. (laughs) That's true. true.
1: But that's not a bad place to be, when you're all... We're all basically racing against each other to be the happiest person in the room. That's great. So, we like training training partners and happiness. Um, so, uh, Instagram is just at Andy Torbitt. Uh, I think I'm still theoretically on Twitter, but I've not used Twitter in about two years, so don't go there. Uh, and that's it, yeah. Basically, Google Andy Torbett and you'll find me. I've got a website and I'm on Instagram
3: class. Excellent stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much mate. Thanks so much for coming on, on mate. You've been, on, mate. You've been yeah. absolutely
1: to have. Really I I'll see you all soon. But please <laughs> all, for the love of God. going to the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least open a window it's literally. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sauna in here. I've been in equatorial rainforests that are <laughs> colder and less humid than others.
0: <laughs> it is patterned a bit like that. Isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Right. Thank you very much mate. We no will see you in April. Yes.
3: Cool.